everyone, and welcome to episode 14 of the Two Cents Footy podcast with me, Jeff. And Gabriel Cisse's top, top, top fan, it's our JP. And uh, how have you been? Yeah, I'm all right. Thank you, Jeff. Um, coming out the other side of a um, bit of a, a flu, but um, yeah, feeling much more lively and ready to get stuck in this week. Feeling revitalised. Excellent. Uh, yeah, I've, I've also had my own dose of the Lurgy bit earlier on in the week so that's that's why you're listening to this a little bit later than than perhaps normal um but yeah you're very much welcome and uh we're in the festive season so there's a lot of football going on uh absolute tumultuous myriad of emotions uh touched on this week's episode of of the two cents Footy podcast um so this week We've got uh, a quick fire round that is a little bit more festive and Christmas driven. Uh, we'll have a little update on what went on with Luton versus Bournemouth. Uh, there's a new coach at Sunderland. He's hoping he can go one further than Tony Mowbray. We had the Champions League draw for the final 16. Uh, we will have our mince pie and mulled wine segment of pie and a pint. Uh, quick rundown of Euro 2024. We have uh, a rundown of Hungary. And JP, before he caught bubonic plague, went to watch the WSL. Um, so, let's kick on. Uh, we're starting off with a quick fire round. Um, so, I have five questions for you. They are all, yeah, they're all multiple choice. To triple check my squirrely handwriting, and I believe you have the same uh, back the other way. I do indeed. Let me make sure I don't bump a uh, non-alcoholic Sauvignon Blanc into the mic. <laughs> uh, thoroughly recommended. No brands are being endorsed. Um, Whereabouts is uh, that made? <laughs> it's oh, that's a good question. One I talked to you about, mate, last week was Australia. This one is made in Germany. Mm. Is it German? Germans grow grapes? <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> doesn't sound legit, does it? <laughs> no, it doesn't really. I'm not sure I've seen a um, German section in the in the stores before for wine. <laughs> I need a refund from Tesco. Maybe for a couple of different varieties of Frankfurt. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's curryverse. Okay. Well, it tastes all right. Maybe the, all the E numbers are working. Um, okay. So I'll back onto the quick fire round. Um, okay, so I've got five. Um, some, I'm going to start with um, quite a trivial one, and you might have similar. We'll see if we uh, cross over. Um, so when... Was footy last played on Christmas Day? You have the choice of 1956, 1959, or 1962. Um, what was the first option again? 19... Uh, 1956. And the other one was 1952. Uh, 56, 59, or 62 within three years of each other. I'm going to go... Okay. Uh, almost. Um, no, it was 1959, and uh, folks back then enjoyed uh, the absolute pleasure of watching Coventry smash Wrexham 5-3 <laughs> in Division 3. Nice, cold, misty morning in Coventry. A bit more close to home uh, and this year. How many wins have Aston Villa had in 2023 in all competitions? Oh, 2023 and all come. Oh, and I have three options, yes. <laughs> so we have the choice of 15, 20 or 25. I'm going to go for 25. Spot on. Spot on. Uh, the Unai Emery revolution continues. <laughs> and yeah, we, I'm sure we'll touch upon that in our, in our minced pie and mulled wine edition. Uh, question three. How many wins have Man City had in their last 11 games? You have the choice of four, six, 
or eight? Wanna say six. It's a good guess. Um, four. Wow. They're on an absolute slide. <laughs> they they keep losing. Well, as you what you saw against Palace, guaranteed three. Michael Elise. Yeah, on a slide, mate. Yeah, they're definitely on a that on a bit of a dip in form, aren't they? Question four: How many goals have Arsenal conceded so far this season? The choice is fifteen, twenty, or twenty-five. Um, I'm going to go twenty. Um, no, it's fifteen, and it's the joint uh, top within the league um, least amount of goals conceded. So it makes you wonder, you know, even if Arsenal don't perhaps have the Haaland at the top. Rock solid at the back. Rock solid at the back. Mm, that's an interesting stat, even with um, their goalkeeper issues, I guess, I guess we can call it that. Ray and Ramsdale. Yeah. Absolute that continues li- to give him a headache. <laughs> that little debacle. <laughs> yeah, <I'm> chestnut. <laughs> and let me just make sure I've got my notes correct. Okay, when was the first ever Christmas Day fixture in terms of what year? So you've got three choices again. Uh, 1889, 1900, or 1907? <laughs> um, no idea, so 1907. <laughs> okay. Uh, no, 1889 was the first ever Christmas Day fixture. Uh, Preston beat... I can't read my own writing. It looks like Lazio, but I'm sure that wasn't the case. Luton? <laughs> uh, I can correct it later, but yeah, I think I'm, it was 3-1. Uh, three, three, <laughs> Preston. <laughs> Against insert name here. Well, congratulations, Preston, on that, on that victory. <laughs> sure still celebrating it. <laughs> yeah cool well I've got a, I can um, give you five of my own Christmas quick fires um, they're they're all either ors okay. um, or and one's actually just a yes or no <laughs> um, okay. so question one of the uh, the festive quick fire from JP Brussels sprouts or parsnips <laughs> parsnips every day of the week Sprouts an absolute raging radioactive minging. <laughs> Give you the <laughs> as well. Number two, mince pies or Christmas cake? Crimbo cake, as long as it's been infused with Delia Smith's mousse. And plenty of that lovely marzipan. Oh, that's minging <laughs> as well. You like that, don't you? Oh, yeah. Cherry Bakewell. Yeah, oh yeah, 100% all over that. Oh, mate, no. (laughs) Uh, Question three. This is the yes or no. Mm -hmm. Football on Boxing Day? Question mark. Um, Yes. Yeah, I think so. They're they're professionals. They have an amazing... Well, they're amazingly remunerated. We, We all know that. Um... Yeah, you could argue a little bit of a break. I mean, yeah, take what's going on with Harry Kane in the the Bundesliga. They have, the, I think, they stop for about twelve days, from the twentieth till the New Year. He gets to actually spend a Christmas with those four kiddies and, and gets enjoy to indulge in some indulge in some turkey and stuff. And yeah, get his pile of curry verse out. <laughs> Question four: Turkey or ham? Uh, ham's more moist. Nice. Question five: Vixen or Prancer? <laughs> What's the difference? Uh, Prancer sounds flirty. Uh, they're both um, names of Santa's reindeers. <laughs> yeah. Vixen sounds like a bit of a novel enemy in a in a Marvel film. So yeah, I'd say uh, Prancer. 
Nice. Well, as you can tell, only one was actually football related in, <laughs> in all of that, but okay. yeah, they, they um, were I am um, Christmas quickfires. <laughs> very good on Christmas. Um, okay, I've reread my writing. Um, Preston v- beat Villa, Aston Villa 3 2 on the first ever Christmas Day fixture in 1889. It didn't say Lazio or uh, Villarreal. Amazing. Um, okay, so that's our Christmas quickfire. Um, a very short and subdued and somber segue. Uh, we obviously, as like everyone else, send our best wishes to Tom Lockyer, um, who collapsed in the, the fixture against uh, Bournemouth. Um, with an amazing empathy and work done by the medical team. So, uh, yeah, we wish him really well. Um, and, yeah, it shows the best in humanity when, when people come together like that uh, to support. So, fingers crossed. Uh, what's on uh, Luton Bournemouth? Uh, so, quick segue. to Sunderland news, JP. So your, your, the team you support has a new manager in post. Um, you signed a contract until 2026. Uh, do you want to elaborate? Yeah, so breaking news on the, on the Sunderland front. Just this afternoon, actually, it got um, officially announced that Sunderland have now appointed Michael Beale as their, their new manager to take the reins and progress Sunland to the next stage of the model or process or whatever they're calling it these days. Um, interestingly, a lot of the fan base aren't too impressed um, with the employment. I mean, it's probably not the, I guess, the big trendy name that everyone was kind of hoping for, but I've got a slightly different perspective on the appointment, which might offer a bit more positivity to any Sunderland fans out there. Um, but um, no, a bit around sort of his background, he's done a lot of... Actually, funny, fun fact for you, he's actually from Bromley, um, so my home, my sort of hometown area. Um, mm-hmm. So he's local lad to, to me. But um, he's done a lot of work for the Chelsea and Liverpool Youth Academies. So he's had, he's had a lot of experience in terms of developing and progressing young players, which I think is exactly what a team that Sunderland need with a, a whole a whole um, bunch of, of young players that need, that have that sort of raw talent and need to sort of establish themselves as as um, professional footballers. Um, but he's also having um, the assistant coach for Steven Gerrard when he was at Rangers. And obviously Gerrard was very successful at Rangers. Um, and he's thought of... Um, as almost being the brains behind that sort of Steven Gerrard sort of um, era at Rangers and also the first part of Villa when he was actually doing quite well at Villa. And then he then left to go manage QPR, Michael Beale. And then Steven Gerrard all of a sudden sort of collapsed in, in form and hasn't really quite recovered yet. So, um, yeah, Michael Beale then went off to QPR. He actually started off all right. He he actually had QPR in, in first spot. Um and then there was these rumours that he was going to leave and there was a bit of a, a an ordeal around it and eventually went to Rangers and I don't think it quite worked out for him at Rangers. Um, so he's only actually had two official management jobs and I think that's what a lot of Sunderland fans are actually look at, looking at um, and especially the Rangers thing, which doesn't look too good. Mm-hmm. But I mean, apart from that, I mean, I think his actual background, it does, it does suit... The I think this the scenario at Sunderland we've got a lot of young raw talent that that needs progressing. So I mean I'm optimistic. You know could be completely wrong and everyone else can be completely right that it's just an absolutely rubbish appointment. Um, having said that, like I, we were saying the other week, it's, it was a risk anyway. Second Mowbray and what, whoever they were going to bring in, it was always going to be risky around how it's going to pan out, but. They've decided on their man, and we'll see how it goes. But um, yeah, so interesting. Um, I do think if he loses the first couple of games, the fans are going to get 
very, very prickly in terms of their response and a little bit, um, I think it could get toxic very quick if it, if it goes south. But um, yeah, we'll see how it goes. Um, but yeah, breaking news from, from SAFC. <laughs> uh, yeah, Ian Beale. That's what I think of when I think of Michael Beale. Having a, a complete crying fit. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, just a few. I did a bit of research as well. I mean, he, yeah, as you said, fifth. Um, yeah, so, yeah, in fact, he started his coaching career at 21 in Brazil um, in the futsal and then moved to Chelsea and Liverpool's academies. So presumably that would have been under, I guess, the almost around the time of Clough, uh, Klopp and... Um, Funnily enough, Brendan I actually... Rogers. Um... Yeah, I think when it was at Chelsea, I think he was there. I think he left there around till of two thousand and three from memory when Abramovich came in charge. Um, and reason he left is he was getting frustrated that you know their youngsters weren't getting, weren't progressing into the first team or they weren't being given the chance. So mm-hmm. and then then he sort of moved on to Liverpool. But what would be quite interesting is sort of no what players he kind of sort of developed. But, I mean, there are sort of testaments out there from, from professionals that I sort of see on social media that they absolutely rave about him in terms of being a really good coach. Um, and I think that's probably what more he is. He's probably more of a coach than he is a manager, is my probably is my perspective on it. Um, but, um, yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, his fifth game is against Newcastle, which will be a very tame and chilled affair, I'm sure. <laughs> but yeah, no love lost against Ange when when Ange was at Celtic. Uh, I do, I guess. Do you think that I presume so? Yeah, that you think he'll suit the young, progressive style that Sunderland are trying to to match. Yeah, I think so. I think, um, from what I understand, he he likes to play a decent brand of football. I think we're already playing a, a very good style of football. Um, what will be very interesting, because we, we did lose at the weekend 1-0 to, to Bristol City. Um, and I think we've absolutely dominated the game. We just haven't had anyone to put the ball in the back of the net. And that's actually been where some of our issues have been this season, where we've played a really good game of football, but we haven't necessarily picked up the points or that win. We seem to be all right against the the bigger teams, like such as Leeds and West Brom, where they sort of come and they they will attack us as well. Any team that sort of dare I say it parks the bus, we find it very very challenging to break them down. And so I think one of his key um, things to sort out will be to try and find a way that we can break these teams down more effectively and obviously that will then sort of lead to us hopefully picking up more points and and getting a a solid place within the playoffs but um yeah I'm fully expecting that he'll still play a very nice um style of football um I think it'll be a shame to go back to a manager who would play I guess for example an Allardyce kind of ball where it's that lump it long to a target man and you know it's not too pretty to watch but you know it's, it's effective but um just lump yeah. it to Ida Good Johnson or JJ Kocher <laughs> could do some step overs lump it or leave it yeah <laughs> just lump it <laughs> amazing okay uh well yeah I think you know my spec it's going to be quite a you know Sunderland against Hull especially critical game sixth versus seventh yeah, Hull have had a very, very good um, sort of first half to, of the season. They look like a really solid side. And yeah, because they've actually got a young manager, um, Liam Rosingall, Rosingall, I think, um, who's an ex-footballer. Um, and so again, they're, they're sort of a modern manager getting a team to play well. So yeah, that'll be a very, very tough game on Boxing Day. And we've got Coventry at the weekend as well, and they're never an easy side either. So, mm-hmm. yeah, two tough games coming up. Mm. Yeah, hopefully it works out well. We'll still, we're still at Reims. So, uh, yeah, ne- <laughs> apparently they were stuck on uh, remuneration. So, 
Uh, yeah, no, and good to see a younger manager again getting a big job like this. And fingers crossed. Uh, yeah, he can he can sort of keep the exciting style that Tony Mowbray had, just with a bit more physicality and yeah, like you said, an ability to break down teams when they're parking the bus like that. Superb. Okay, fingers crossed for Sunderland. Uh, right, so we're next moving on uh, to the Champions League. So there was a, f- a draw when we are recording this today, and uh, it drew the last 16. Uh, yeah, generally speaking, JP, did you th- see any fixtures uh, that that kind of stood out to you? I'm, I mean, um, actually, let me read them out first, and then I'll, I'll kind of come back. So there's, there's eight. Uh, so yeah, Porto, Porto versus uh, Arsenal, Napoli, Barcelona, PSG versus Real Sociedad, Inter Milan versus Atletico Madrid, Eindhoven versus Borussia Dortmund, Lazio, Bayern Munich, Copenhagen versus Man City, and Leipzig versus Real Madrid. Um, I mean, I don't know this this kind of knockout phase. It looks a little bit uninspiring. To me, in there's no sort of massive matchups. I don't think there. Um, the big ones, probably. I mean, Inter Milan versus Atletico Madrid looks a bit of a heavier clash in there. Um, maybe Leipzig Madrid, but again, you'd you'd fancy Madrid to sort of do that. I mean, I don't know about you. This last sixteen seems that. I mean, it appears more lightweight than it would normally sort of look in in previous seasons, perhaps. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, maybe I think Napoli Barcelona might be a quite good one to watch. Napoli are quite a um have been quite good in Europe the last sort of few seasons and uh, continues to improve with Oshiman up front, who's who's very very good. But it probably gives the likes of Arsenal um in there maybe. A, a good chance to have a little bit of a run in the in the competition as well, which would be which would be good for them. But um, Man City, w- with what you'd think would be a an easy game against Copenhagen. I mean, we I guess we said that for for Man United and it didn't quite work out. So do know maybe yes, a little bit of banana a banana skin, uh, considering the way City are uh, playing at the moment. But um, yeah, I mean, I look forward to see see how it pans out really. Exactly. Uh, Arsenal might be on to a, a good omen. So like the last time they got past the round of 16 was in 2010, uh, beating Porto 6-2 on aggregate, um, thanks to Nicholas Bentner. It's a bit of a throwback okay. uh, with a yeah. hat-trick at the Emirates. Uh, yeah, I mean, to your point, I mean, not too many amazing fixtures. I mean, Madrid versus Leipzig could have the potential to be a little bit of, of you know some kind of sparks to it, you know, by Munich, Lazio, you know, Lazio eleventh in Syria, um, with Maurizio Sarri, former Chelsea coach, as, as their head coach. So there's, you know, you got to think that could be a breeze for them. Um, yeah, not really, not really a huge amount. I mean, there's some good, you know, head to heads, but um, realistically, it's. Like Leipzig against Madrid, Jude would most likely steam past them again. Uh, with, yeah, you know, Madrid, Real Madrid, big favourites on that one. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's not until really the quarters you'd expect the sort of more heavyweight teams start coming up against each other. So, I mean, maybe for last sixteen, I think it, yeah, it's probably fine actually. But um, yeah, I think sort of going heading into the quarters and and semis and stuff is when you you start getting those big big matchups. Yeah, I mean overall good for the the English based clubs, City and Arsenal. Yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, hundred percent exactly. Um okay. So we're now moving on to our next segment. Uh, we're moving on to our mince pie. And mold wine festive segment, uh, which is a festive slant on pie and a pint. 
Uh, it's for any act of uh, positivity, really amazing play, uh, or valiance, um, and also what has not gone so well. Um, so yeah, uh, JP, what's your... Let's start positive. What's going to be your... Who's going get, to get your mulled wine? So, <laughs> funnily enough, my um, bestest um, mulled wine and mince pie week's going to be um, Geordie based. <laughs> um, so my mint, my mulled wine, sorry, is going to go to Miley of Newcastle for getting his first goal in the Premier League. Um, it's always good to see sort of young English players sort of coming through um, the ranks. Yeah, good on him for for getting a good uh, scoring a goal, and his performances have um, been good throughout. Actually, he's had had been sort of chucked in in the deep end in the Champions League and game after game due to sort of the injury crisis they're having. And yeah, great to see him get a, a very nice goal. So um, he can have a, a lovely cup of mulled wine. Awesome. And. The mince pie, again, is going Geordie themed. I'm going to give it to my old mate, Alan Shearer. <laughs> what's, what's, what's he done now? What's Uncle Alan done to upset you? Well, I just I was clicking through on the BBC website and I saw his face. I just thought he could do with getting a mince pie in the face. Goodness <laughs> me, that's so science-based, isn't it? <laughs> So I thought that would be a lovely Christmas present for him. <laughs> wow. I mean, anec- anecdotally for our listeners, I mean, I remember when we both ran the virtual Great North Run in 2020, October. And it's where you're running along and each mile clicks and you'll get, you know, somebody speaking to you like Cheryl Cole. I know that's not her name, Cheryl. Uh, you know, whoever's famous from up those parts. And then at mile mile seven, Alan Shearer blurts out, keep going, son. And you just, you get, I jumped out of my skin when I heard that. I thought, that is off-putting when I'm in the zone. You know, halfway through the half marathon. Almost teared my ears off. (laughs) Blew our eardrums out. (laughs) Got me attention. Yeah, I'm amazed that's the... To be fair, like, mince pie does sound like quite a nice gift, but then, you know, <laughs> in our context, it's slightly worse. It's a stale, disgusting, out-of-date one. Yeah. Make sure there's lots of spice within it. Okay. <laughs> glued to his head, don't you? <laughs> and so, Jeff, how's your um, festive wine and pie for this week? Cool. Yeah, mulled wine. The or glue wine, you'd say in Germany, um, goes to uh, the, yeah, it goes to the medical team at Bournemouth for uh, yeah severe you know extreme professionalism and just rallying around and, and camaraderie and spirit to help out. Uh, obviously, Tom Lockyer, I, I think that that's worthy of calling out. Any time you see that act of just putting aside the football and you know just focusing on someone's health, especially when it's when it's so important. Um, so yeah, definitely a mulled wine once they've, you know, cooled off. Um, and then the the mince pie is going to go to all of Man United and Liverpool. I think we both watched that. I watched it on the train heading back from Norfolk. What a ball fest that was. Uh, end-to-end activity. No clinical finishing either end. And then this kickoff between, you know, Van Dyke. He's on Sky Sports and says, "Yeah, only one team were trying to win that game. It was us, but we kept a clean sheet." And then Roy Keane is foaming at the mouth. He's just saying that he has so much arrogance in his attitude towards Man United when Liverpool was was struggling for thirty years with no titles. So. Oh, yeah, you, you just expect so much more from a game of that stature, especially when it was like the third, what's it, third most attended game in Anfield's history with this new stand that they've got, which which 
adds more capacity. You know, weak atmosphere and just. I want my 4G back from all the data I used watching that. <laughs> yeah, um, the the atmosphere was very um, subdued for a, an Anfield atmosphere, especially of, of that game. It was very, very strange. Even sort of um, Carragher and Neville picked up on it during the game. Yeah. And yeah, it was almost like everyone in Liverpool had that same Van Dyke arrogance around it. <laughs> I mean, in the context is, I mean, the last time these two played at Anfield was, was, was it the 7... Was it the 7-0 massacre, wasn't it, where yeah, Car- it Carragher took the funny selfie? So, you know, like in that context, it kind of makes sense. But yeah, I mean, did you, th- did you find any glimpses of hope for... I mean, do you think Man United are going to be quite happy with that? Surely. Oh yeah, I mean Man United will definitely be happy with the point considering the pressure they've come under and the results they've had since uh, Ten Hag's got that manager of the month award. <laughs> um so yeah, they'll I mean they'll definitely be happy. I I actually thought towards the end of the game it would be hilarious if Man United now go and nick this um game and score like a sort of last ditch goal against Liverpool. Which to be honest, they they almost did. There was um that cross that went into the box for um Hoyland which he didn't didn't connect on to. But um That was close, yeah. And he obviously had that one on one chance um as well with Allison. So it wasn't as if Man United didn't have clear cut chance. I think they did and probably actually a little bit better than um the Liverpool chance despite all their shots. From absolutely everywhere in the most ridiculous places, from about fifty yards out, it seemed. But um, <laughs> yeah, all these headers jumping wide. Yeah, you know, Trent, um, and then Cody Gakpo just sending these shots into the you know into the absolute atmosphere. Probably landed in Goodison Park. <laughs> but yeah, you'd be uh, very frustrated if you're a Liverpool fan after watching that. I mean. Um, I'd say that they barely landed much on them. I mean, I know they sort of had a lot of um, possession and dominated the game and had sort of their sort of chance, but nothing really sort of, I'd say, clear-cut. I think the most frustrating thing was when um, Darwin, when the ball came across and Darwin knew when Nunes stopped because he thought it was a penalty, he's like... Just carry on, carry on to the whistle, and get yourself a goal. And he just like stopped and tried to get the penalty. It's just like, I he just doesn't have any brain cells, does he? That guy. <laughs> yeah, it showed a, a kind of breathtaking attitude, just of, of yeah, almost arrogance again. You know, I deserve this. Uh, but yeah, maybe next time it would be better. Um, are there any other standout? Uh, results in the in the prem in this last round that stood out to you. Um, yeah, that I mean, there was a couple. There was a couple in there. I think the the standouts were um, obviously the Man City uh, Palace game, which ended up in in two all. Um, there was some last sort of minute drama within within that game, and I'm not sure if you've seen the clip of Roy Hodgson smiling at Pep Guardiola when that decision is given that. Uh, it's a palace penalty, but, joy. <laughs> which was absolutely hilarious. But um, yeah, I think again it just sort of throws into perspective the frailties of Manchester City at the moment, and they're there to sort of be gotten at um, by teams. And like you said with your your stat earlier, only four wins in eleven, um, which is crazy to think. So I, their squad is just so good. But um, having said that, it's good to see the likes of. Um, Rico Lewis hitting the back of the net and I think also the week before in the Champions League last game Oscar Bob and Mika Hamilton also got goals so good to see that some of their youngsters sort of starting to get involved but um, yeah that was a a standout Um, the other one probably Everton Burnley and a convincing 2-0 win for Everton again they're just sort of and actually, Everton sort of showing their class, but Daesh has clearly sort of turned them round. Um, I think it's now four clean sheets in five games for them. So mm-hmm. just super solid. Um, 
you know, classic Daesh, they're they're scoring goals from set pieces and all those kind of things. So they're they're now looking like a very Sean Daesh side. And they're they're up there with the top top teams in terms of form. So that whole ten points deduction is they're just they're gonna be nowhere near relegation. If you take that sort of ten point or give the ten points back to them, they'll be up around sort of looking at top half European spots. So um yeah, <laughs> another standout. I think yeah, we shouldn't be surprised about Everton sort of actually winning games now. I know they had a bit of a ropey start again, but um I think they've they've fully turned a corner. Um yeah, and then obviously we had the sort of the the um, Liverpool Manchester game, which was hyped up to be the big game of the weekend. But um, I also saw Aston Villa, um, Brentford, yep. Villa getting another win, another Watkins goal um, in there as well. So another big big win for them, and they're they're right up there. I think Arsenal, I think, was the one that stood out to me. Just um, again, they're a solid defence. <laughs> Uh, finally beat Brighton at home. He's never <laughs> done that before. Um, Kai Havertz as well, seemingly on a bit of a run. Yes, another Kai Havertz goal, wasn't it? Yeah, he's... Is that consecutive... A few consecutive games now he's scored? Or it's definitely like sort of like three and... Three or four and five or six games or something like that, it feels like. Yeah, definitely the last um, the last two if my memory serves me correctly. Yeah, and I think we sort of mentioned in, a, in an earlier podcast if there was a manager that was going to get the best out of Havertz, it was going to be Arteta. So, um, And we also sort of had our sort of reservations about whether it was actually going to happen, but good for Arsenal that he seems to be sort of turning a bit of a corner and getting those actually very important goals sort of in, in the last, sort of last few minutes. So, few minutes. Yeah. It's a good sign that. Yeah, they're on a on a bit of a rampage. So yeah, oh, exciting if you're based up in North London. Not Spurs, by the way. <laughs> uh, they're going the other way. Yeah. I'm trying to think of a better word for Angeball, but uh, it'd be probably not suitable. So yeah. Needs to keep up. Come on. What's going on. <laughs> Get Harry Kane back, I don't know. Actually, don't get him back. We need him good for the Euros. Nice and rested in the Bundesliga. All right, so we're moving on next uh, to Euro 2024. So if you're uh, not aware, we've uh, done a rundown uh, running up to next summer's tournament. I think we've covered two teams before so we've covered Germany and we've covered Scotland yeah that's right we that's right okay yeah. just checking I've got my maths right so <laughs> we're now moving on to uh, Hungary they have qualified and uh, in the tournament third successive qualification for Euro to, uh, the Euros in a row so uh, yeah I mean we're, we're just going to do a quick rundown of what we think they can do uh, what their main players are uh and uh i kind of yeah verdict on whether they could perform an upset so jp what would you think could be the result of where hungary get to in the tournament and then is any standout players that you can you can think of yeah so hungary is one of those teams that i've done a sort of fair bit of research on because they're sort of one of those teams that you know, we don't really hear too much about or anything like that. So as I've done with the, the previous two teams, I've started off at the bookies to get their odds. Um, so they're actually um, one below Scotland in the bookies rankings. So they're 16th favourites to win Euros 2024. Um, they're managed by Marco Rossi, who has been in charge, I think, since 2017, 2018, or around about that sort of time period. But Hungary, they're, you know, they're a huge nation in terms of football, in terms of their, their past, and very well known for almost being the, the disruptor back in the 1950s around how they, they sort of um, 
revolutionized how how football was played and stuff so um big big nation and obviously the the very famous player um puskas um who was their sort of talisman back in the day of the golden team but um i had a little look back in terms of their qualification as well just to sort of get a feel for how they've they've got on so they actually qualified in top spot of their group winning five of their games and drawing three and didn't lose a game um so unbeaten um which is very very good and so they're they're obviously a solid yeah solid side and a better qualification than scotland by one who they lost one game scotland did um one five drew two um within those that qualifications they got three clean sheets they did get two red cards they had a passing accuracy rate of 82 percent with an average of 56 percent possession so slightly favored more in terms of sort of the the dominance but which seems quite impressive to me for for a team and i looked at the group um which their group was contained Serbia, Montenegro, Lithuania and Bulgaria, which seems a bit benign um, and in terms of a group. It's not very, it's not a group you sort of wake up and pay much attention to. So I guess it's not really too surprising that they have finished first, if that makes sense. Um However, it's I mean, it's probably well balanced, but yeah, I think with Lithuania and Bulgaria in there, you know, you've probably got between them and Serbia, you're thinking, yeah, they should probably both qualify, and they both did. <laughs> so I guess you'd probably expect Hungary to to qualify. Um, but sort of like you said, they in sort of the recent years, they've kind of made a bit of a resurgence. Um, I guess in particular in 2021 in the european um competition they're in the group of death with portugal germany and france um and they actually it took until the last game until they were officially sort of i guess knocked out or they didn't qualify that was it it was super nervy wasn't it for ronaldo yeah for portugal and then yeah it was like constantly checking two screens yeah that seems to ring a bell yeah, it was a crazy, crazy group, and I forgot, I can't remember exactly what the results they got were, but um, I think they ended up drawing with France. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they ended up losing to Portugal, but in the Germany game, I feel like they took the lead, and it was, like you say, it was like neck and neck, and then I think Germany just about turned it around. And so they've had, in recent times, they've been a solid side in in sort of big competitions and also equally within 2022 in the nations league they were in a group with italy germany and england and they actually beat us one nil and four nil um and finished second within that group so this is a team in there where you could quite easily look over but actually they've got some very very good results in recent history um and, you know, the way they've qualified has been very, very solid. Um, I think I've predicted Germany would get first in the group and Scotland fourth so far. I think, Jeff, you were Germany first, Scotland second. Yeah. Um, I think for me, that for me in terms of where I think they're going to end up, I'm kind of, I've obviously got to either pick second or third. And it's hard because the other team, Switzerland, and they're also generally quite solid in big competitions. But I feel like this could be the time that they sort of push into the next step um, and get into those knockout stages. So I'm going to predict that they're going to get second within the group. But um, I think within the recent years, it seems to be Marco Rossi as manager that seems to have brought this resurgence of Hungary and he hit quite impressively. He's got a fifty percent win rate as the hungry manager. Which, when That's you consider, amazing. yeah, when you consider the groups they've been in in terms of all those really big teams, to have a fifty percent win record is pretty good. Um, and he tends to sort of play like a three-five-two formation, 
with the wing back. So I think when he comes up against those sort of bigger teams, he has those five and at the back four for to be sort of organized and solid. But when they're sort of going out and attacking, it gives them a bit of fluidity in terms of having those wing backs running those channels. So a very, very interesting style of play in terms of in terms of running. But um I think they're a very interesting team for um for next year. In fact, yeah, what's I'm trying to pronounce the name place for Liverpool. Dominic Borsoskalai, I said it. <laughs> yeah, I've yeah, Dominic Jobalai. <laughs> there you go, Jobalai. <laughs> Just butchered it. Uh, yes. <laughs> All over the floor. Uh yeah, no, in, in what's in qualification, four goals, three assists. Seems yeah. to get some goals to Liverpool, but yeah, again, more as a sub for, for Klopp. Looking at who else did they? <laughs> Funny bit of trivia, a bit like Matty Cash at Poland. They've got a guy called Callum Styles. <laughs> he was born in Berry, playing for Barnsley. Uh, through a maternal grandmother. <laughs> oh yeah, just a, quite a funny bit of trivia. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I and think... Yeah, I think that um, I I can't say his last name, so I call him DS from from Liverpool. I mm-hmm. think he he is their sort of main their main figurehead within that yep. team. Um, I think sort of a couple of times I've seen him when playing for Liverpool. He, he seems like he's one of those midfielders that can do a bit of everything. Mm-hmm. Um, he sort of gets stuck in, puts in a tackle, but he also seems to carry the ball quite well and sort of be that sort of playmaker. Also, mm-hmm. I, I want to say a little bit like um, a, bit, a little bit like Jude Bellingham in terms of he he appears to be able to do a bit of everything. Obviously, not to the extent that Jude is at the moment at, at Madrid, but certainly that type of midfielder. Um, but I think he's only twenty three as well, so still sort of developing and probably has a bit to polish off within his game. Mm-hmm. But I think within that within the, in that hungry squad, he's I think he's the the one to watch, um, if you were. But um, one thing I did notice when I was sort of flicking through some of their names is actually a lot of their squads have experience within the Europa and the Europa Conference Leagues um, due to sort of playing within, I guess, uh, I want to say sort of the, the lesser European uh, leagues um, and sort of getting playing in those sides that tend to get those places within within the competition. So mm-hmm. they've got quite a good wealth of of experience within that squad in terms of big European tournaments, which I think is quite impressive. Um, to be honest, I mean they've also got their centre back Willy Orban, who plays for Leipzig as well. So he's obviously playing in in the Champions League and is getting good experience. Um, and I think their their sort of leading striker at the moment, Barnabas Varga, um, plays for <laughs> plays for um, Ferran Varos, I think it's how you, or something like that how you pronounce it, um, which is in the Europa League or Conference. And I think he's got four goals this season or this um, qualification for for um, Hungary. So he looks like he's got an eye for goal, which is interesting. Yeah, I'm just think where they'll end up, you know, where will they finish? Yeah, what's your sort of prediction for Hungary? You know, it's hard to look past um, maybe this second round. Even though, yeah, like you said, they've been very re- resilient against England back in 2021 after, yeah, the lost Euros final for England. Um yeah, like they seem to be, you know, this consistency. They'll 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 push teams close, but I just think they'll ultimately just can't hit. In fact, the clean sheet record's not that good, even against teams like Montenegro, um, or Serbia, you know, like that. So, um, yeah, I think the second round, JP. What do you think? Yeah, I think they'll finish second within the Group A. Um, so I've got Germany first, Hungary second, Scotland last, and yeah, I think they'll probably get knocked out first round of the knockouts. Yeah. Um, 
So have I convinced you that Hungary are qualifying <laughs> from the group? I think, I think they can do actually. It's more if Scotland have injuries, you know, if if they if they lose their playmakers like McGinn, McTominay, etc., then it will be it, yeah, it's injury dependent. I think depend, you know, whether either or go through. But no, good kudos to uh, Rossi. For giving them a, a resurgence and making them qualify uh, for the last few. It's a great country, Hungary. Okay, uh, so our final segment of this week is a personal account uh, from JP. Um, I hear you went to watch some WSL action before you fell ill a little bit. Yes, so... Um... Off the back of Jeff giving a little bit of an update around his WSL experience at, at Kings Meadow for the Chelsea Leicester game, we had a top of the table clash in the Women's Super League. Not weekend, just gone weekend before. Uh, I think it was the tenth <laughs> of December or eleventh December, I want to say. Yeah, tenth December. Um, and so top of the table clash between Arsenal and Chelsea. Um, being played at the Emirates and actually it was my first experience of actually going to the game at the Emirates as well which was which was really really good um I actually really really rate the Emirates as a stadium now that I've been there um lovely padded seats lots of leg room it was absolutely wonderful wonderful sitting experience <laughs> um I've now that means I've now been to both Tottenham and Arsenal's grounds and I hate to say it, Spurs fans, but I generally I think I prefer the Emirates. I think it was just a really, really nice experience. And if if anyone gets the chance to sort of go there, I'd hundred percent, you know, take the opportunity because it's really, really, really good, um, and hundred percent recommend. But um, so yeah, so in terms of the game, Chelsea sort of go in there as top of the top of the table by three points. Uh, they've been unbeaten all season. Um, and so I think Arsenal, they were three points behind. So it was a real, real um, high stage of, of, a, of a football match. Um, and you know what? The football was really, really impressive, actually. Um, it was a really, well, from an Arsenal point of view, it was a, <laughs> a very good performance. They ended up winning the game 4-1 which was very impressive considering Chelsea have actually been unbeaten all season. Um, Arsenal were dominant throughout the whole game and <clears throat> kept the likes of Lauren James and Sir Sam Kerr completely out the game, um, which is which was Im- impressive. But um, I think one question I sort of asked you, Jeff, originally was how you felt the standard of football was. Um, in terms of what you saw, I guess, compared to sort of like a normal, I would say normal, um, in terms of a, a standard sort of men's game. And actually, I think the one, the, one well, thing, the one thing that sort of stood out for me was actually, because I think sometimes on the TV, the, the ball looks like it, in terms of their passing, it doesn't seem to sort of move as fast or they don't seem to zip it. But actually, especially in this game with uh, with Arsenal they're absolutely, they're actually pinging the ball and zipping it across the the pitch quite you know quite neatly and and quite fast so i was actually very sort of impressed by the standard from from that point of view but it was also great to see some of us our english girls get on the score sheet so we had beth mead um opening the opening the game with a with a nice goal and alessia russo getting a double um, a penalty in the second half, but her first goal was was uh, was class. Um, it was a brilliant finish. Yeah, cracking finish. And so, yeah, it was. To be honest, it was just complete Arsenal domination. Um, Chelsea got an equaliser to make it one all. And it, to be fair, it was a good goal. And you felt they might get into it, but they just never did. But um, so you know, thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. It was a record attendance for the WSL, sort of just under sixty k. Um, so it was a really a good atmosphere. Um, it was different to a to a men's a men's game. Uh, I'd say it's probably a nicer and safer atmosphere, if that makes sense. 
um, which was good. A lot of parents with their kids going to the game, which is which is really nice. Um, and I can probably see, you know, role models starting to develop within the the women's game as well, which I think is is probably needed. And I think because of that sort of environment and atmosphere that there currently is with the women's game, I think there'll be some really, really big role models um, to come. I think, especially with the likes of Russo and and Beth Mead, I think mm-hmm. they're going to have a, a lot of responsibility on their shoulders in terms of, um, you know, inspiring that next generation. But I think they're more than capable of doing it. So, yeah, it was a brilliant day out. Um, brilliant stadium, brilliant atmosphere, mm-hmm. brilliant football. Um, 100% recommend to anyone that's sort of sort of sitting on the fence about whether you do it. And generally, tickets are cheaper for these games as well than going to see even Sunderland men's team, which the football is crap compared to <laughs> what what that football was. So, um, and you're paying double the price. So, yeah, get get yourself down to see some of the the top end sort of ladies football. It, it's definitely worth it. Just one question: Do they? How did they neutralise Lauren James? Because she was absolutely dominant when I saw her. What three weeks before then, against Leicester? Yeah, it was. I, and to be honest, I was kind of expecting her to be dominant within the game. I, I think within sort of the first twenty minutes, Arsenal were playing really well. I was like, oh, it won't last. At, at some point, yeah. Chelsea will find um, Lauren James, and I think she had one sniff at goal, and and that was it. Um, but um, yeah, they they seem to sort of counteract. They seem to sort of cut off any supply into her, which seemed to be the success. Um, they seem to have a player sort of monitoring her fairly closely as well. So when she did get the ball, you know, it was almost um, they're almost sort of a couple yards away and you know very close to sort of marking her. Um, <clears throat> But yeah, very did very well in terms of cutting off any sort of supply, even sort of in within Sam Kerr as well, who I thought would be a, a big threat. Um, she got the ball a handful of times, you know, played it off, or and nothing ever really happened, or she got sort of tackled herself. So it, it was a very very impressive performance. Gosh, yeah, just such a contrast again with Chelsea women. As I said, against when I saw them, they just were just so dominant and and pacey. <laughs> With, and yeah, they're just on this amazing unbeaten run. Um, so in fact, yeah, no, two weeks apart, we saw them. So it was their last game. <laughs> uh, but yeah, just crazy. Like Sam Kerr, Jess Carter, just unable to kind of cut through. It's just been our off day, but yeah, it it makes the title very exciting. With um, yeah, I mean, another I guess another sort of twist in the tale from last weekend is that, that Arsenal then went and lost the North London derby to 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 Tottenham, and so that means they're now again three points behind Chelsea because Chelsea beat um Bristol City Bristol City three nil. And Arsenal lost 1-0 to Spurs, which was funny because I actually watched that game on TV. And um, Arsenal, again, <laughs> were so dominant. And But whereas they were so good clinically against Chelsea, they just didn't have that, that final third. Mm-hmm. And, and Spurs were sort of very compact and organised and literally hit them on the break one time in the game and, score- and scored. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so it was a very, very sort of um, smash and grab win for for Spurs. But it now means that Arsenal have a lot of work to do to catch up a very good Chelsea side. Yeah, exactly. Two steps forward and three back with with the loss few results. So, uh, but yeah, no, it's, an, it's an amazing day out. Especially at the Emirates, love to go. Especially see Russo and Mead, like, you know, leadership material. Obviously, once Williamson is back uh, from a very long injury, um, which spanned the World Cup for the Lionesses, uh, yeah, I'd love to go and see uh, them even down in their Boreham Wood, tiny ground compared to uh, the Emirates. But you know, it sounds like the the atmosphere was good and the 
you know the the viewing figures continue to push and the role models as you that's a very good point that you said are, are really coming through that, that maybe you're not getting so much in the men's game anymore great well fantastic all right so uh, that's that's us done for this week uh yeah the fixtures are coming thick and fast we're hoping to get john back uh, after several weeks out uh, you know especially after yet another uh, brighton loss he uh, he's crying behind uh, one of the stands at the Amex, but we'll be able to retrieve him with the squeegee. Um, so yeah, JP, thanks again for your contributions. Absolute pleasure. Thank you, Jeff. Uh, thanks for joining us uh, both, and yeah, hope to listen uh, hear from you next time uh, on the Two Cents Footy Podcast. See you Cheers soon for now.